Hey, chiropractors, welcome to Modern Chiropractic Mastery with your host, Dr. Kevin Christie, where we discuss the latest in marketing, business, and professional growth with some of the leading experts in the industry. Hey, docs, welcome to our part two of four of the MPI series, where we're going to discuss being world-class at treating athletes. And again, doesn't mean you have to treat professional athletes only. You just want to be world-class in your town, treating local active folks or junior athletes, and really understanding what it takes to be great at treating these sports injuries, because it is a little different. There's definitely a lot of similarities, there's no doubt, but there's certain things that we want to discuss uh, in this little four-part series that will help you with that. And today I have Dr. Corey Campbell of MPI, and we're going to talk about manipulation and the athlete and all things, uh, extraspinal, spinal, a lot of different things about why and how manipulation is an integral part of, of being a sports chiropractor and working with athletes and how it can separate you from other types of providers that are also working with athletes and also how sometimes you can, um, you can be a team member, a team player and add the manipulation to a well-rounded athletic training department. And so we dive into various topics regarding manipulation and working with athletes. Uh, I'm excited to hang out with Corey in person at the MPI Master Series, the Sports Summit on the Lumbar Spine. And that will be in Overland Park, Kansas on March 25th and 26th. I'll be there. I'll be speaking actually on the 24th for their reps and past reps, little kind of TED Talk type of deal. But I'll be hanging out for the weekend. And so I hope to see you there. Uh, I was there at the last one they had in person. It's been a couple of years because of COVID. And this is the first one back. And it used to be in Chicago, now in Kansas. But really excited to join Mark King, Corey Campbell, Brett Winchester, Jason Ulm, David Seaman, and Rich Ulm uh, to really dive into all things lumbar spine. And, and uh, it'll be good. I'm excited to be there. Highly recommend if you're looking to have that multimodal approach to practice and, and sharpen that saw a little bit, um, you'll get all aspects of that. It's not just manipulation. That's a big part of it, but soft tissue, rehab, nutrition, right? A lot of stuff that goes into working with athletes in the Sports Summit is a big part of that. So check that out at motionpalpation.org and go to the Seminars tab and you can find it there for March 25th and 26th. All right, here is my episode on manipulation and treating athletes with Dr. Corey Campbell. All right, we got Corey Campbell here on the episode for our MPI little mini series on the MCM podcast. Welcome to the show, Corey. How are you doing today? Great. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing well. Excited to, to talk to you. I'm sure we'll see each other in person here in March in, in Kansas City this year for the MPI Sports Symposium. That'd be nice. Yeah, that would be awesome. Perfect. Yeah. And so we're doing this little mini series kind of leading up to that because, uh, you know, obviously as an MPI instructor, uh, you have a good pulse of the profession and, uh, and really what um, chiropractors are doing great at, uh, what they're struggling with, the opportunities they're getting out there in the field, which is awesome. The fact that um, a, a chiropractic is and chiropractors are being sought out to, to treat sports injuries at, at all levels. And really the theme of what we're talking about doesn't mean we're trying to get every chiropractor to be the NFL teams, uh, team chiropractor. There's only 32 of those jobs in the, in the country. 
uh, being world-class at this, and, and, and you and I were kind of joking about it earlier, uh, it's harder to treat junior athletes than it is pro athletes, right? So being world-class in your community and treating it is a big part of it. So it runs the gamut. And uh, so what are some of your thoughts on, uh, on this topic that we're introducing to the world here? So I guess, you know, you know, the, the topic is being world-class and treating athletes. I think, you know, as, as a chiropractor, I think you, you should strive to be world-class at treating patients first and foremost. And that's, um, you know, like the biggest thing that I've had down is that if you want to be world-class at anything, and it's funny because I see, I see some of these chiropractors that, that treat only athletes, you know, young athletes, or I see some of these chiropractors that treat only geriatric people or only this or only that. And the thing is that what's consistent across the ones that are really, really good at is they're very confident in what they're doing. They know what they're good at and they know how to sharpen their skills in those areas. And so I think if you want to be world-class at anything, whether it's treating athletes, whether it's um, working your way into a team, you have to be really good at what you do first and then that's where the skill development part of it, like you have to develop your skill and your confidence first. And then, then you find, then you work your way into a niche. I think some people want to work their way into a niche first, put the cart before the horse first. They want to be, I want to treat golfers, for example, but you don't, and you know a lot about golfing, but you don't know a lot about treating patients. <laughs> and so yeah. you treat golfers because you know golfing, but then when somebody walks in, that's a construction worker, you're like, Oh, or for example, a, a, a golf pro who hasn't golfed in 20 years, he just teaches the swing and sits on his hair all day long. And they're like, oh, I don't know how to treat this guy. Well, you better know how to treat the guy that sits on his chair all day long, just as well as you know how to teach the guy or treat the guy that's been swinging a golf club 30 million times a day. You know, so it's that whole, are you treating a Ferrari or are you treating a Volkswagen? Like you got to know where you're at and you got to be as skilled equally in both of those, both of those areas. And so I think the biggest thing I see with people is that they just, they focus on the niche first and not, and then they focus on the skill development in that niche, but they don't develop the skill that can carry them through all of those different people. And so first and foremost, you got to develop your, your skill. It has to be your skill first. And you have to work on that skill, just like that golfer works on the swing, just like that football player works on catching the football, just like, you know, that wrestler works on shooting a double leg takedown. Like you have to work on your skill as much as those guys work on their skills. So that when those people do walk into the door, you're not overwhelmed. You're just like, I know how to handle this. I, I have my system in place. I know how to assess them. I know how to treat them based on that assessment, regardless of who they are, whether they're the Volkswagen or the Ferrari. I think that's the biggest thing that I think that's the biggest gap that I see that, you know, from teaching and, and from talking. Yeah. And, and when you start getting into treating athletes, I mean, it, what we do in private practice is always about results and whether it's the regular person or, or the athlete. Uh, but as you, if you really are starting to work your way through and, and try to improve with athletes and, and get higher level each time, like um, your personality is not going to cut it. It will cut it in private practice a lot of times. Like if you, if you can talk, you know, talk well and you got a great personality, like you'll probably do pretty good in practice. But when you're working with athletes, it's going to really ultimately come down to being good at what you do. And so I'm glad you, you mentioned that. And then 
kind of segueing into our particular topic of what you and I are going to discuss this episode is manipulation in the athletes. Uh, we're going to really kind of center it around there and, and getting really good at it. Um, I, I want to speak to the, you know, the idea of a lot of evidence-informed chiropractors uh, have this thought that, uh, you know, maybe they're going to be the high school or college, or if they're really lucky, small percentage of folks are pro team chiropractors, that they're going to be head of the rehab department or the soft tissue. Uh, and, you know, obviously I know a lot of NFL teams have ART chiropractors, which, which is great. But the, the 95% of the time when a organization is bringing on a chiropractor to the team, they're looking for manipulation, right? Right. And, and so speak to that a little bit. Yeah. So I guess that's the, obviously, um, I've been teaching since 2003 and I've seen the shift, you know, from, um, ART to, you know, manipulation heavy to ART to rehab to back to ART, back to manipulation and all those, you know, trends and, and ebbs and flows that we go through. But, um, like you said, we have to know what our lane is. And if you're getting hired on, you know, by, you know, We'll just use somebody that we possibly may know, the St. Louis Cardinals, you're getting hired on to be really, really good at manipulation and also be able to know enough about the other things that are going on with or in the organization to be able to work with them. They're not hiring you to be the head of rehab or to run the rehab department or to be the triage guy that says, oh, this guy's got to go get an ACL surgery. Like you're not that guy and you just have to be okay with being in your lane and your lane is being good at manipulation. And I think, you know, the recent surge with the evidence informed world is that we know so much about so many other things in the evidence world. And we have so many other classes that are really good rehab docs, hundred percent. We might be some of the best rehab docs in the world, but that's not our lane. We have to be okay staying in our lane. And then working with the other people that are driving cars in their other lanes to be able to work with them and to, you know, give that athlete the best care that they can. And if your job is to be the best adjuster on in a team or the only manipulator in the team, then that's good enough. Like, honestly, because that's what a lot of people want. Like the rehab people want what you can do. Um, the PTs want what you can do. The massage therapists want what you can do. And you're the only one that can do that. Don't water it down by thinking that you're the best DNS person in the world, or you know more about SFMA and FMS than the other guy that's working there for 10 years knows. Maybe you do, but that's not your lane. Stay in your lane. Be really good at manipulation. Be really good at palpation. Be really good at adjusting to the point where you're indispensable. Even if they get rid of you when they change coaches and they change administrations and the owner this, you know, and the athletic director changes and they get rid of everybody, that all of those athletes will come see you regardless of where they're playing or whether they're not playing. They'll send their 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 kids to you. They may be blue chip athletes down the road. Your job is to be the best manipulator, palpator, adjuster in the planet. And that's why they're hiring you. They're not hiring you to run and to, to tell people, you know, well, I've done these 10 DNS courses. I know more about DNS than you do. That's not your lane. Like, you know, 
God put us in our lanes for a reason. We step out of them, we get run over by faster cars and, and, and life will humble you really quickly by getting out of your lane and stay in your lane and good things happen, you know, especially in the manipulation world, the palpation world, the chiropractic world, you bring broad into these teams for a reason. And that reason is to be really good at palpation, really good, really good at manipulation. And then third, really good at connecting with the athletes that you're working with and the other people that are on that team and not being the outlier, but being a team player. Those are, I, those are the things I, I see, um, over and over again in the, in the athletic administrative world, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. And you know, in my years in the past of working with athletes, the manipulation has been a huge part of that. Uh, obviously we, we know the benefits, a lot of what we would do is spinal manipulation and, and, and that's, and that's great. And we're going to touch on that a little bit. Uh, but I think a blind spot for a lot of chiropractors, uh, is the extremity manipulation and really understanding the palpation of that and, and actually uh, getting some manipulation. Uh, what are some of the main areas that you work with on an extremity standpoint for athletes? Uh, obviously probably foot and ankle is going to be able but what are some of the ones you see just a ton when you're working with athletes of all levels and all types of athletes? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll give you a little bit of background. I mean, I see a lot of wrestlers. I see a lot of softball players, baseball players, because that's, you know, my kids are that age and um, I coach some wrestling, coach a little football. And so, you know, I'm seeing those kinds of youth athletes and the vast majority of what I see is foot, ankle, hip, knee injuries. You know, those are the things I see. And so um, it's, it's one of those things like, extremity adjusting gets assessed like people know how to assess it but they don't know how to treat it and um i i just don't know i don't know how much i can stress the importance of being good at treating the extremities and knowing how one to palpate them two how to treat them because a lot of things begin and end with the foot ankle and hip like the knee is kind of the middle child it gets caught between what the foot can can uh allow forward and what the hip can control. It's that's Chris Powers's um, line. For those of you who don't know Chris Powers, look him up. He knows more about foot ankle hip issues than than anybody in the world. Um but you need to know how to assess the foot and ankle. You need to know how to treat the foot and ankle. You need to know how to treat the hip both from a rehab standpoint and from a manipulation standpoint. A lot of people don't know how to manipulate the hip or the foot and ankle correctly. Um because they don't know, you know, how to categorize, does this foot need movement? Does this foot need stability? Does this hip need movement? Does it need stability? Once you get those two things categorized, you do a really good assessment, which should be part of everything that you do. Um, whether it's a 65 year old construction worker, whether it's a 23 year old, almost to be, you know, a draft pick kind of kid, you gotta, you have to have the same assessment, whatever that assessment tells you is what you do. Um, but man, it, you got to know how to treat the assess the extremities. You have to know how to assess the extremities. And if you don't, it, it's really not that short, but people don't give it enough time. They don't give it enough practice. And it's kind of an afterthought. And that's, that's just crazy to me. Cause I, I can't tell you how many times I just had a young, um, softball player in here, uh, right before you came in here and I, I'm working on her foot. She actually broke her first metatarsal and she had a surgery on it. And so we've been working on the foot and ankle for probably six weeks or so. We kind of sped up her recovery quite a bit by doing some stuff. 
And mo- a, a large part of that speeding up of the recovery is not the hip stability. It's not the cool DNS stuff that we're doing. It's the fact that I know how to work around the foot and ankle and to do things from a manip- manipulation standpoint, even with a fused first metatarsal phalangia joint. Like that's probably been the biggest key to her recovery is just knowing how to palpate it, how to assess it, how to reassess it, how to audit, and then also how to treat it. So, man, if you want to treat athletes, you better know what you're doing around your extremities. You better know how to assess it. You better know how to palpate it. You better know how to audit it all the time. Cause that's, I mean, that is a huge, and I'm sure Dr. Winchester can talk about it when he talks about return to play, those foot and ankle hip complexes aren't moving and controlling what they're supposed to be controlling and moving through you're it's a recipe for disaster no matter how good of a surgeon or how good of a chiropractor you are you just and it doesn't take well I mean, it's not rocket science uh, but you better know what you're doing in the extremities and again like i said i see a lot of it just being an afterthought it's not an afterthought it's, it's a key link to almost not only your athletes but a lot of your patients if you're overlooking the extremities you're overlooking a big part of it yeah, actually, I got an interesting little story from that. Uh, I'm in strategic coach, which most people that listen know that. And uh, there's a there's an orthopedic surgeon. He's in the Dallas area. Top top orthopedic surgeon, just massive practice, really reputable, great guy. And we we're in a small group together. There's like four of us, and we were sharing different business strategy things. And he looked at my name tag, and it and it says chiropractor on there. And he's like, Oh, you know, I was like, not, not many people in here know this. He's probably 55, if I had to give him a number. He's like, not, a lot of people don't know this, but I used to be a chiropractor. I'm like, really? And he's like, I used to be a chiropractor. Then I went, I had three kids and they were young. And I went back to USC medical school while I was a chiropractor. This guy's, guy's really smart, but he's going on and he's like, I, I freaked out my, uh, my MA the one day. Cause this guy came in with a shoulder issue, blah, blah, blah. And he's going, and he's like, and I did an assessment on it and I was like, this guy just needed to be adjusted and, and he did a, like a, an AC SC move and got this loud cavitation and MA had no idea he used to be a chiropractor. He's like, like, what did you just do? And he's like, Oh, I used to be a chiropractor. But he, he went on, you know, as an orthopedic surgeon. Now, obviously he he's a trained chiropractor and practice for about 10 years doing yeah. it, but he's like, man, I just wish more orthopedists knew about manipulate. Like he just was like going on about, how many things he sees as an orthopedist in the office that just need to be seen by a chiropractor, not in his office, you know? And I thought it was right. a, a story of how, uh, you know, a lot more orthopedists are getting on board. Obviously, almost every high level university or pro team has chiropractors on there for the manipulation. And the extremity one is such a big part of that for sure. We know the spine. That's, you know, I yeah. just wanted to highlight the, extremity and i know mpi offers uh, what are the extremity based courses you you offer and basically I offer three of them i mean we offer the spine which is our foundational class and then we offer the extremity class which is all extremities which is great um and then the upper and lower integration classes which are a combination of extremities rehab soft tissue and adjusting um and that's more of it like we call it integration. It's not, you're not going to learn DNS and MDT and you're not going to, you know, I'm not going to dive into each one of those things, but we're going to show you how you can incorporate those other things into it. There's a whole lot of, you know, for example, the upper integration class, I just taught that 
I think in Minnesota. And uh, we spent a ton of time on the shoulder and it was how to palpate the shoulder, how to adjust the shoulder. This is the soft tissue considerations and these are the rehab considerations that you need to do. But the majority of our time was spent on palpation assessment and manipulation mobilization of the shoulder because that's, I mean, that's just a big part of it that once you understand these things, once you understand how all that works, like if you don't get, I always call it the soil. So the joint system to me is the soil. If you want to, I'm a farm ranch guy from Western Nebraska, but if you want to plant something, you got to get the soil right. And if you want to rehab and retrain the muscle system, if the joint system isn't working correctly, then that stuff that you plant and that stuff that you fertilize and that stuff that you retrain is never going to, it's never gonna produce anything because the soil's not right. And if the joint system isn't working correctly, then the vectors of the muscles can't pull from the right spots. The muscles can't activate the right way. The brain can't recognize the right things. And so until the soil is right, which is the joint system, and that's what we're really, really good at is the palpation and adjusting of the, of the joint system. Until that soil is, is right, you know, these other things that you try to do, it's kind of like making Shaq shoot another free throw. It's just the same shitty pattern over and over and over again. So it just, it's not going to work. Yeah. And so we got to get the soil right. And we're, we're the best ones at getting the soil right. We just have to realize that and be okay with that. And then we can layer other things on instead of getting the cart in front of the horse. And that's what I think is exciting about you know, us as chiropractors. We really can come in with that kind of trifecta of obviously rehab, soft tissue and manipulation. And, and if you can be world-class at, at all of them, or, you know, especially manipulation, you just separate yourself from all of the other specialties out there in your community that can't do it. Or even if the physical therapist down the street's learning it, very, very few PTs are probably going to be world-class at the manipulation. And it is your, it is your opportunity to separate yourself uh, from that. So um, I, I want to segue a little bit here and, and touch on, you mentioned you had a patient with a first met. Did you say, was it a fracture? Yeah, it's fracture. Yeah, she had it fused. So what, you know, what comes with manipulation is obviously a ton of benefits. Uh, but then when you're evaluating and treating sports injuries, sometimes you are the first person they are seeing. And sometimes there are potential traumatic uh, situations that happen in, in the given sport. Um, and, and so you really got to know, you know how to figure out if there's any red flags, get clearance in your own kind of world of like, yes, this is the time to do manipulation or in a situation where you have a patient with a, a fracture in that scenario, what can you do to manipulate around that area? You know, obviously not that area, um, right. but what are, what are some of the, the things you look out for, for red flags, when to do it or when not to, or some stories and examples of athletes that have come in where you just said, you know what, we, we need to figure out few things before we're going to run into this manipulation right now. I mean, that's, um, that's the perfect question. It's, and, and that's why the system is the solution. You know, Mark says it all the time. Um, you know, if somebody comes in with a neck shoulder complaint, anything that's in the extremities, I'm pretty much doing the same exam on them. If they came in and said, well, you know, I can't really feel my hand or my shoulder hurts. It's the same exact exam. You know, I, I think you need to know 
enough quality orthopedic tests to be able to rule that stuff out. Like it shouldn't, you know, I have a, a labral, like three labral tests that I do. And I've had, these are on video and you guys can see them all, but you know, by the end of your shoulder exam, you should know, you know, most likely have labral tear. So here's our options. We can treat it, see how it goes. We'll give you four weeks. Um, or if you, you know, if you want to play this next season, you better go see this guy down the street that I trust. And here's his name. Here's his number. I'll give him a call, send a note. And I'll let him know you're coming. That kind of thing. Um, so first and foremost, you have to, you have to do the same assessment. You can't just have somebody walk in with a swollen ankle and just assume, you know, I'm just going to cold laser this and put some ice on it. East stem it. It's going to be fine. Like, yes, obviously if they're hurting, you got to do those things to get it calmed down. But then what's that, once that swelling's down, you got to be able to assess it. You got to be able to rule out the lead, red flags. That's why you have to have the same assessments. Um, you know. But Mark is one of my biggest mentors. Like all of my exams are the same. Obviously I'm going to throw a few more things in there. They come in with ankle that's swollen up like a balloon. Um, you know, once it gets calmed down, but ultimately, yeah, you got to rule out red flags and you just have to be, that's the difference between being a doctor and a clinician. Don't be a knee jerk chiropractor and my low back hurts. Let me adjust your SI joint. You'll feel fine. Like work it up, like figure out, is that really what you need to do or is there something else going on lower in the chain or higher in the chain that you need to focus on more um so you you have to rule out red flags and that's why you have to have a system and you have to be confident in the findings of those systems and if you're not confident in the findings of the symptoms then your treatment plan should build in a cushion of liability you know Say, for example, I treat you two weeks for three weeks. That's a very safe three-week window to know whether you're going to respond to manual care and, you know, those kinds of things or whether we need to send you out. So I never track people outside of a three-week window initially, especially with an acute injury. Like, yes, I might not get a clear picture on day one, but I will on visit six. And so... One, you have to have a system in place to rule out red flags. And two, you have to have a reasonable treatment plan that's going to give you one, a chance to succeed and two, uh, a built-in like liability window so that you don't, you know, I would never see them twice a week for eight weeks. That's too long. Like you miss stuff. Three weeks is a good window. You're doing stuff to get the inflammation out. Then you can squeeze the calcaneus be like, oh yeah, that's a stress fracture. Now we can send you out. You know, get a scan, we'll figure that out. Okay. So one, be really systematic with your assessment. Two, sometimes the treatment is the is the test, but build that liability window into your treatment plan. But don't undertreat them and don't overtreat them. So you gotta be, you know, kind of a two-pronged thing for me. You gotta know your again, know what you're good at and also know that there is a window where you can figure things out that you may save that patient a lot of expense, but also, you know, if they, if they do need imaging, they do need referrals, then they're going to get it within the appropriate time and not miss that window of, of really being able to, to heal, um, with surgery. And yeah, honestly, and like most surgeries, there's a, there's a pretty big window. Yeah. And obviously, you know, if there's some traumatic situations going on, 
you can't be afraid to recommend imaging if, if that's the scenario. Because you know, I think what happens Never. a lot of times now, people come in, they want to get adjusted. You know, like that yeah. football player got pancaked, back hurts. They just want to get adjusted. If you do your history appropriately and you start to look, it's like, oh, we better rule out some kind of potential stress pressure here. There's some things you can still do from a treatment standpoint, but you may need to get the clearance before manipulation in certain cases. Uh, so it, as powerful as a manipulation is, is you have to really know when to rein that in for the time being and have some other tools in your toolbox to, to help them with some alleviation of pain and, uh, you know, know when to refer them out potentially. So, yeah, yeah, 100%. And a lot of that, you know, again, like, I'm going to beat this palpation thing into a pulp, but, you know, when you're palpating somebody that has some sort of acute problem, it's, it palpates different than somebody that doesn't. And, you know, like your pancake, you know, example, and I see a fair amount of football players here, you know, when things don't feel right and you would never, I would hope you would never just adjust that and, and it's going to feel better. It's like hitting your arm on the door and then rubbing it really hard, right? But you would, as a doctor, you would never adjust that area that hurts that acutely um, on a first visit. You, you've got to, one, you got to. Make sure that it's, you know, your liability is covered too. It's not going to do them any good. It could actually, you know, you're not probably going to do anything to hurt them, but you, you want to cover, cover your bases. And that's the difference between being a clinician and a technician. Like that's, you know, there's, there's a, there's a gap there. Like if you palpate well and, and it feels different and it hurts different, don't, don't adjust it. Just leave it alone. Yeah. And uh, just to kind of, you know, wrap things up here a little bit, uh, say a few words. I think a lot of DCs out there are you know, very efficient at, you know, cervical manipulation, you know, thoracic, some lumbar. They, they've got the essentials down. But I think we all know in our heart of hearts where we might, we, we may struggle with that CT junction or that first rib, which can be freaking a difference maker for some things. Or, that foot and ankle, that hip, it's it, it, just because you've been practicing for five or 10 years, it doesn't mean you, you don't have blind spots in yeah. that. And, and being honest with yourself is the first step towards improving, right? And I think a lot of DCs need to take an audit of themselves. Like, cause in the easiest way to audit it, and we've all done it, you know, it's like where you, the patient comes in and you're like, damn. I wish I was better adjusting that area. This guy, <laughs> right. this guy really needs it. <laughs> You're right? 100%. Uh, so kind of, you know, which ones you suck at and that's okay. Be honest with yourself and yeah. start considering, you know, attending MPI seminars on those particular aspects to, to sure that up a bit and get, get better at it. It's never too late because it will be a difference maker in your practice to add to all your other tools. Uh, so yeah. what are some yeah, of your, doing. your thoughts on some of those complicated adjustments? Uh, you know, people are afraid to admit it sometimes, but it can take a long time to get really good at that. <laughs> you got to be honest with yourself. Yeah. I mean, I can't, uh, I can't tell you how many times in a day I've, I've been humbled, you know, like I had a, I had a guy in here this morning, big dude, you know, <laughs> big guy. I'm not going to drop any names, but you no. Know, and I've, I need, I really needed to get some distraction in his hip. And I was just like, man, I wish Mark King was here. Cause you know, Mark would be like, oh, you just do this and this and this, you know, just 
And the guy would get up, whistle out of here, and he'd, you know, give Mark a high five and a couple hundred dollar bills and be like, yeah, you're the best ever. You know, like, I think we can all learn, you know. Uh, I think the CT Junction, like you said, is one of those things that people are confounded by. Um, the first rib is one that people are confounded by. I think the hips are confounding to people on um, when to treat the foot and ankle, I think is another one that just like, not just how to treat it, but when to treat it. I think that's when, I think that's what kind of separates like the Brett Winchesters from, you know, the wing dingers of the world. Like Brett knows how to treat the foot and ankle and when to treat it versus just tr being able to treat it, you know, and getting a bunch of noise from it. That's not the goal of treating the foot and ankle. And so I think, I don't know. I mean, I've been humbled and I got four kids and I get humbled every day and I coach young kids and, um, and I, I, I tell them all the time, like, you're never too old to learn. And I'm always one of those guys that if I ever stop learning, I'm dead, you know, that kind of thing. Like, I just don't, I don't understand like why you would ever think that you know it all. If you know it all, um, then you probably need to find something that challenges a little bit more than what you're doing. And, uh, yeah, yeah the CT junction, the thoracolumbar spine, I think is what the T, the TL junction is still one of those things that just like every now and then I'm like, man, I teach this, you know, 15 times a year. And I'm still like, I think I just screwed that up, you know, with this yeah. guy. Like, I don't think I got this right on this person because I, I think I did the wrong thing with this one. And, uh, you know, those, those key junctional areas, it's just okay to admit that you don't know everything. And I think the hip, the TL junction, the CT junction, the foot and ankle, like if you can master those four things or at least work towards mastering those four things, you go a long way to becoming the most indispensable chiropractor in your area because nobody wants to treat them and they don't know how to, and they don't, they just avoid them and say the classic, well, it's not that it's, you know, it's your upper cervical spine because that's really easy to treat. And so, you know, or make a lot of racket out. And so like, if you're, if you want to chase challenges, which, uh, you know, I have a dog that wrestles and we talk about chasing challenges all the time, like wrestle the best kids you can wrestle get in front of the best competition you can get in front of now. So when it comes time where it really pays off and then you've had that experience, like you think you have to chase challenges all the time, especially when it comes to being a professional and to, you know, being a, a clinician and a doctor, like I, I have doctors that come in here that are pulmonologists and cardiologists and they're constantly training on these new techniques and this new technique, they never stop. And they're the busiest doctors in the, in the world because they're the ones that'll be the first ones to say, like, we've never known how to treat this, you know, yeah. lung problem before, but we're trying to figure it out and they go train in all these different places with all these different technologies. And so I think that's what we need to do is to, is to chase challenges and to not, you know, you know, in 10 years, I'll probably be teaching the foot and ankle differently. Hopefully. I mean, hopefully I know I learned better things, better ways to teach it and better ways to treat it and better ways to assess it. And then I could take that to everybody else. And, but I think we, we can't, we can't dodge it. We can't hide from it. We have to be doctors, not technicians and, and clinicians, not technicians. And I think anybody that's worth their weight in anything chases challenges. And they, you know, I, I tell my kids and coaching all the time that if you want to be good, you got to be bad. You got to believe in yourself. You have after after action plan, and then you got to have discipline to do it. You have to believe, take action and have discipline. 
if you don't have those three things, then I, I just, I think you just kind of, you, you chase the next bright, shiny object. You'll actually take the pride in what you do and, uh, you know, confidence, clarity, and character could go a long way to, to making the person that you are and, and the clinician and the doctor that you are. And I think people are attracted to that. I think they're attracted to humility. They're attracted to effort. They're attracted to those things. And I think that's what, uh, I think that's what makes the greats the great. Yeah. And I think to your point, the shiny objects where I see a lot of times, um, a lot of chiropractors will graduate, they'll get into practice and they'll say, okay, I've got my fundamentals of, of manipulation. Now I'm going to start adding all these other things, you know, the soft tissue and the rehab, all the different, the five different rehab things. And then all these, all these courses and letters behind your name and they then forget to continue training on the manipulation and they think private practice will, will do that. But what ends up happening, unfortunately, is, is private practice will just solidify bad habits in your manipulation right. and not actually fine tune it. And so I want to challenge uh, chiropractors in general, whether it's the ones new, young coming out early on, or ones that just need to be honest with themselves and they're 12 years into it and say, you know what, I probably could take the next couple of years and really start fine tuning this a bit now that uh, you know the dust is settled. Uh, but I want to yeah. challenge chiropractors to concurrently, yeah, learn the other stuff, make be a well-rounded clinician. I love all that stuff. I've done it, but don't forget to, especially as you're getting out of school, like keep on going to the manipulation courses and get really good at that. At the same time, you you can do both because what happens when you get into private practice, you you know you you know like you go you're a student, you're adjusting all your buddies, and everybody's easy to adjust. Right. And, and then you get into private practice and like half your patients are really hard to adjust. Yeah. And, and, yeah, no, and, it, and you know, oh. just to kind of, I know right short on time here, but um, you don't have any buy-in with any of that other stuff. If you can't deliver with your hands, like if you're not a good adjuster, not a good palpator and you can't deliver with your hands, you don't have any sort of buy-in to do those other things that you want to do. And so you kind of just skirt the, the, you know, the elephant in the room by just doing all the other things and getting good at that when you could actually be getting good at palpation and adjusting, which is what ultimately kind of sets you apart. That's what makes you indispensable. That's what makes you unique. And then you can, everybody can pile that other stuff on. Um, you know, that stuff is all trainable, just like manipulation and, and palpation is. But um, if you want to be indispensable, and you want to get buy-in for those other things, then man, you got to be able to deliver with your hands. And if you can't deliver with your hands, then um, that's a that's a sad place to be. You know, sometimes it's a the hopeless feeling, and I I I don't want that for anybody. Well, Corey, I really appreciate your time. This was informative and awesome. I hope people will start really considering how to just take that next step with manipulation. Be very well rounded, but have that as a, a world class trait that you, as a provider, have for your community and athletes of all time. So thanks for your time today. Yep. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And if you want to make the shift from busy, broke, and broken to time-free and cash-confident, or you just want to continue with the exponential growth, check us out at modernchiropracticmarketing.com. Look at the MCM Mastery tab, watch the short video on there, and check out what we are doing now for evidence-informed chiropractors. 
We are equal parts coaching and marketing done for you. Yes, you shoot some videos, we help you with campaign strategies and ideas and really become a thought leader in your community. You shoot those videos, you send them to us, we produce, edit, and brand them to you. Then we distribute them through all of your channels. We also take them and we turn it into one good blog per month. And every other month, we have Darcy Sullivan producing a robust blog with a topic that you pick from her database to help with your SEO. So we essentially become your content marketing agency to make sure your practice is always having ethical, elegant content marketing to help grow your practice. On the coaching side, we also help you with everything from marketing ideas to business, communications, finances, anything practice growth and really try to help prevent you from being stuck on that island. And we hold you accountable. We have a great group of doctors that are just doing amazing things. And we look forward to help you out to take that next step in your practice. So again, check us out at modernchiropracticmarketing.com and learn more.